Welcome to another exciting word from Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor of Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We're so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the word. Welcome tonight to another move of God. How is God going to move tonight? He's going to move in your heart if you'll allow Him. He's going to move in your mind if you'll allow Him. He's going to do something tonight that He has intended would last you a lifetime. God has intended tonight with this message to change your life forever. Isn't that amazing? You see, we should not be uh, able to come into the presence of God, into the worship of God, under the Word of God. We should not be able, or should we, you know, should we, uh, you know we, we should not even be able to imagine that we could come into the presence of God's Word and worship and that He would be with us and not change us, that we would be left the same, that we would not be somehow encouraged, motivated, inspired, that we would not somehow catch another glimpse of something we could do to please Him. There's always something in my life that I can do to please Him. There's always just one more little thing that I could offer Him in my life. And uh, tonight, we're going to have another chance to do that because God is going to meet with you where you are. Wherever you are right now, wherever you are right now, here on campus or online, wherever you are in life, whatever circumstance or situation that you're facing, believe me, God has intended to meet you right there tonight. He's going to come all the way to where you are. He's going to come all the way to where you are mentally. He's going to come all the way to where you are emotionally. He's going to come all the way to where you are spiritually. He's going to come all the way from heaven to where you are physically. And he is intending to change your life just a little bit to make you a little bit more like Jesus. Just a little bit more of his glory, a little bit more of his grace, a little bit more of his understanding, a little bit more of his patience, a little bit more of his kindness, a little bit more of his faith, a little bit more of his love, a little bit more of his forgiveness. He's wanting to bestow on you something that will help you, that, will, that, that you need in life, that someone else needs in life. So God has already intended for every word tonight to have an impact in your life. The words that he's going to speak to you, regardless of what I say. There's something he's going to say to you. In fact, God has already spoken to some of you uh, online and on campus just with what's already been said. God has already spoken to you. You may have just awakened a new realization in your life that every time you come before him, it's a miracle. Every time God meets with us, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. Like, like the psalmist David said, uh, God, who are we that you would be mindful of us? But Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in his name, there he is right in the middle. It's a miracle that God would meet, uh, as David said, with the likes of us. You know? But he does. And when God meets with us, he leaves us just a little more, you know, um, fruitful, a little more productive. He leaves us with a little more potential. You know, it's not necessarily that he's trying to, you know, uh, point out our faults so that we can repent and, and you know, and uh, no, he's, he's trying to make us more like him. He's adding glory. The Bible tells us little by little he adds to us, line upon line, precept upon precept, here little and there little. The Bible tells us that he does not overwhelm us with all of our deficits, but rather he adds to our life little things along the way. 
And, you know, perhaps tonight you are needing a little more fruit of the Spirit in your life. Maybe tonight you're needing a little greater perspective. Maybe tonight you're needing an answer to a question, a little more peace in your life. Whatever it may be, God is here to add that to your life. That's what He wants to do. He just wants to bless you and help you. He doesn't want to point his finger at you. He wants to bless you. He wants to point his finger toward Jesus. And the Bible says that we are changed into the image of God's dear son. That's what he is determined to do, is to change us, mold us, shape us, make us, to put his hand upon us once again in our hearts and our mind, comfort, strengthen, encourage us. And so tonight, that's what he's going to do with his word. Tonight, I, I, I have a question to ask you. Uh, so the title of my message is, Why? Why? <laughs> you, know, you know, turn to somebody there that's close to you and just say, Why? If you, if, if you have somebody, just, just say, Why? Why? <laughs> why? Have you ever? Yeah. All right. Y'all get the picture. Well, we're going to begin uh, this evening uh, in Psalms 37. I'm going to read a couple of verses in Psalms 37. And then... Um, we'll conclude the evening as well in Psalms 37. So if you want to get there and find that place, then we'll, uh, we'll be uh, referencing it here and there. In Psalms 37, specifically verse 12, this is a Psalm of David. And, and David said, the wicked plots against the just. Anybody want to repeat that, what I asked you to repeat a while ago? Why? Why? <laughs> because they're wicked, that's why. <laughs> The wicked plots against the just and gnashes at him with their teeth. Have you ever noticed this? Have you ever wondered why? Yeah, well, Psalms 37 verse 32 says, The wicked watches the righteous and seeks to slay him. Wow. Man, that just seems like, you know, bad news, doesn't it? But if we look around us, we can see that that's the way the world is. That's the way it generally has been. And that's what history records is that the wicked seem to pursue the righteous, literally trying to destroy them. Recently, I've been reading an autobiography of a man named John G. Payton. It's spelled P-A-T-O-N, but it's pronounced Payton. He was born in Scotland in 1824. <laughs> oh, John's getting a little old right now. He was the first of 11 children, and he was raised in a Bible-believing, church-going family in Scotland. And, uh, uh, you know, his parents, be be before he was born, his parents were praying for him that God would call him as a foreign missionary. Isn't that amazing? Uh, you know, they, they were pretty uh, adamant about that as well. And, and um, he remembers having to leave school early, uh, under the age of 12. And, and uh, uh, he went to work with his father making socks on the family weaving machine, you know, and, and uh, the, the father selling the socks uh, as, as he could. And he worked, uh, you know, 14 to 16 hours every day. And he enjoyed it, by the way, and he learned a lot about mechanics, and he learned a lot about a lot of things. And he watched his father every day, uh, he tells. His father would, would, would leave the work for about 15 minutes three times a day and go into a private closet, and he could hear his father worshiping and praying. 
faithfully three times every day. And then twice more each day, his father would call the family into a family prayer time, into a family worship time. And, and uh, uh, you know, as, as time went along, John indeed felt the call of God on his life, witnessing that, being raised in a, in a Bible-believing, church-going family. He felt the call of God on his life, and, and in his early 20s, he committed himself to a local church uh, uh, in, in Glasgow, Scotland. And uh, he was given the responsibility to minister on the streets to the drunkards and the prostitutes and the thieves and the beggars and the poorest of the poor. And he would, you know, uh, just uh, go, go among them. That was his duty for the church as he gave himself to minister for the church to go uh, through those streets in that section of town and, and, and witness and share the gospel. He, see, he even started a, a little church service with six people out of this group, and it grew to 600 you know, he was very good at what he did, and he served in that mission faithfully for 10 years. And then he heard a message by a preacher about what was going on in the South Pacific and the islands of the sea and the cannibals there that, that had no witness for Christ and, and all the things that were going on. And, and, and then the preacher uh, gave an altar call for people to surrender their lives to foreign missions and not one person answered the call. It troubled him. And so, so he, he, he thought about it and he thought, well, well, I'll answer the call then. I'll answer that call. And so, you know, that moment moved him and uh, he gave the rest of his life to taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the uh, cannibals, to the tribes uh, in the New Hebrides Islands of the South Pacific. He and his new wife, Mary, who also felt called to foreign missions, they got married and they set sail not long after. I mean, he got a little bit of medical uh, 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 schooling and got a little bit of, you know, uh, Bible schooling, and then he, they, they, they took off. And they arrived in the island, on the island of Tana on November the 5th in 1858. She was six months pregnant. Delivery of their firstborn son went well. However, Mary contracted a tropical fever and she died 19 days after giving birth. 17 days later, their son fell prey to the same fate and John buried his young son alongside his wife there on the island. Life and hardships continued for John. He endeavored to bring Christ to this group of pagan savages who were a warring tribe and uh, who were you know used to stealing uh, family members from different tribes and selling them as slaves and uh, it, 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 it was you know they were steeped in superstition idolatry and he began to try to learn the language because he wanted to share the gospel with them. And it's the first thing he had to do. And they had no real, uh, you know, uh, 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 written language. So he started working with that and reading the Bible and trying to translate the Bible, uh, the, the New Testament, into their language. And, and uh, he, there, there were several attempts on his life. Uh, you just have to read the biography. And uh, uh, by the way, it's, um, you know, 715 pages long in case you want to read. It is in detail, but uh, as it should be. But uh, his desire was to provide materials for those who would come after him and also to be able to teach and explain 
uh, the Word of God, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, to the people that he hoped to witness to and that other people would witness to. And so uh, he, he began translating the New Testament into the language of the islanders. And, and uh, you know, it was no easy task, by the way, because the language did not have certain words that he needed to translate. And one of the words that he wanted to translate that they had no word for was the word faith. So how do you translate the Bible whenever the people don't have a word for the word faith? And so he began, uh, you know, searching for a way uh, to share this all-important concept. And for months and months, he, he, he labored trying to come up with a way that he could translate this concept of faith, this word of faith, in a language, in a way that, that, that they would understand. And, and one day he was walking, uh, and, and as he walked along, he saw a man who was reclining on a, a kind of chair, and, and, and it, it had his whole weight upon that chair, and as he was laying down upon it, and, and uh, he saw him laying there, and inspiration came to John and John. John asked the man, what are you doing? In your language, what are you doing? The man said, I am reclining. And John thought, this is it. This is it. This is what I need. Reclining your whole weight on Jesus. And if you were to read John G. Payton's translation of the New Testament, you would come across a very familiar passage in the third chapter of the Gospel of John. Uh, let me read it to you the way it reads. God so loved the world, verse 16 says, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever reclineth his whole weight upon him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He that reclineth his whole weight, verse seven, uh, 18 says rather, he who reclineth his whole weight upon him is not condemned, but he who reclineth not his whole weight upon him is condemned already because he hath not reclined his whole weight upon the only begotten Son of God. Interesting, huh? Let me just stop for a moment and ask you, have you reclined your whole weight upon Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Have you put your trust in him as much as I have put my trust upon this platform today? As much as you have put your trust in that chair? I mean, how well did you inspect it, turn it over? Did you look at the wells that are on it? I mean, did you look at the material, the cushion, the cardboard that's under it? You know, I mean, the back, is it going to hold you? Did you consider that before you sat down? Probably not. That's a simple trust that we approach a chair with, that we approach a platform with, that we approach. It's also the simple trust that we need to approach Jesus Christ with, that we can recline our whole weight upon him. Have you reclined your whole weight, all that you have, everything that you are? Do you trust him like that? There were several other instances in John Payton's life, but one of the more remarkable instances occurred sometime after John had remarried another Scottish woman. About seven years after Mary had died, he went back to Scotland and there met a woman named Maggie who was also called to foreign missions. He married her and they moved back to the New Hebrides to continue with the mission that God had called him to. 
he and Maggie had ten children while living amongst those cannibals on the islands of New Hebrides, and four of which died either in childbirth or at infancy. And John writes in his autobiography concerning one night in which he and Maggie were in a small hut, and they were surrounded by these, this warring tribe of cannibalistic natives who had full intent on killing them, cooking them, and eating them. This particular tribe was so happy because they did not, they were better than another tribe because they did not actually eat the bones of their victims. They kept them. Isn't that interesting delineation that one tribe feels better than another because we don't eat the bones? <laughs> I, I thought that was interesting. But surrounded by these warring natives ready to attack, uh, they watched through the windows, and all night they stood there ready to attack. And in the morning, when morning came, they just turned and walked away. John and Maggie didn't know what to think about it. Of course, they had been praying all night and interceding and crying out to God. One year later, the chief of that tribe got born again. After having given his life to Jesus Christ through the witness of these missionaries, John had occasion to ask the chief, do you remember the night about a year ago when, when you and, 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 and your village warriors came to my house and, 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 and were going to attack us and, you know, and kill us? And, and the chief said, oh, yes, yes, I remember that night well, very well. He said, well, tell me, why didn't you attack? What kept you from attacking? He said, it was all the men that were with you. He said, what men? He said, those hundred men that were standing around the house in shiny clothes with their swords drawn, ready to attack us back. We felt as though that we could not afford to attack because we would all have been killed. So we decided to go home. Reminded me of the scripture in 2 Kings 6 that says, More there be with us than be with them. Amen? Amen? So many good and kind and wonderful people through the ages have encountered and endured injustice, hardship, heartache at the hands of other people who don't know Jesus Christ, who don't serve him, who don't love him, who are not committed to his word. Men and women who are selfish and evil or perhaps hold a wicked intent. You know, why do the wicked hate the righteous? Why do the wicked gnash at the righteous with their teeth? Why do the wicked want to destroy the righteous? As I said, many wonderful people have suffered through the ages. Suffered with injustice and suffered hardship and heartache at the hands of other people who without Christ are lost and undone. Some selfish, some evil, and some wicked. You remember Queen Esther and the Jews under the evil Amalekite named Haman in the book of Esther. You may remember that he was bent on killing Mordecai and all the Jews. He hated them. There was something on the inside that rose up, a vengeful hatred. And all he could think about was destroying the children of God. 
it aided him. You may remember the mothers in Bethlehem just after the birth of Jesus who suffered such injustice, heartache, trauma, tragedy at the hands of an insecure king named Herod who sent down and killed all of the firstborn children, males under two years old. Wicked, evil. This same king that realized close to his death, that he was dying and realized that he had been such a horrible king, believing that no one would mourn his death. So he called for 70 elders, beloved men of the communities, leaders of the community, to be brought together and put into prison in Jericho with firm orders that on the announcement of King Herod's death that these 70 men would also be killed, would be murdered, executed, so that their families and the communities would find mourning and tears. If it was not for him, it would be because of him. But he wanted tears. At his death. What a warped, wicked man. Let me finish that little story in case you aren't familiar with the history of it. Uh, at his death, the people in Jericho decided they could not carry out that evil command. And so with no more fear that King Herod was going to destroy them, they let the men go. And at his death, there was great jubilation with great rejoicing and great restoration. Wow. You see, more there be with us than be with them. The prophet Jeremiah asked this question during his lifetime. He was being persecuted. He was in trouble, and all he was doing was telling the truth. But the wicked hate the righteous. They hate truth-tellers. They hate people that just can cut right through it to the chase and just tell the truth. And, 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 and every, every sane person can see what is right. But many times the wicked leaders have a problem with the people hearing the truth. And in Jeremiah's day, that was the problem that the leaders of the nation would, would end up putting him in prison and end up you know, causing him great hardship and pain simply because he was telling people the truth. Just the simple truth. Jeremiah wrote in Jeremiah 12 and verse 1, Righteous are you, O Lord, when I plead with you, yet let me talk with you about your judgments. Why? 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 Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why are those happy who deal so treacherously, how can a treacherous person go to bed at night with a smile on their face? How do these things happen? Why? Why is it in our generation, in our experience, and even within our nation, we see treachery, tyranny, evil acts, wicked intents, perpetrated against people injustice why how how do these people go to bed at night with a smile on their face well jeremiah 
just like Esther, just like those in Bethlehem, they knew the answer to that question, and we do as well. Because David, you know, 500 years earlier, had written a thousand years before Bethlehem, 500 years before Esther, had written in the Psalms about these very things. And even though we may not hear the exact phrase from God as to why the wicked hate the righteous, why do the wicked and the evil perpetrate injustices against the righteous? Why do the wicked want to destroy the righteous? We can see through that veil and easily understand that their motivation is from the devil himself. That the prince of this world, the prince of darkness, works in the lives of men and women to bring about wicked and evil intents, trying their best to destroy those who serve the Lord, trying their best, gnashing with their teeth on those who stand up for God, the righteous, those who are right with Him. We don't necessarily want to focus completely on why, but rather on what can we do about it? What can we do about the wicked and the evil that surrounds us? Psalms 37, verse 1. I encourage you to read all 40 verses, by the way. We won't this evening. But verse 1 says this, Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. Don't think that they are getting something that you would like to have. Don't think that they are purchasing to themselves. Don't envy what they are achieving by their wickedness and by their evil. Fret not. Fret not. Don't let these things put you into a frenzy. Verse 2. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Well, that's basically two great bookends. Okay, Number one, don't fret because of all the evil, because God will soon. Soon, yes, on his clock soon. On my clock, probably not soon. But on his clock, on his timetable, soon. And I promise you, on their timetable, soon. They will be cut off, cut down like grass, wither as a green herb. So what can I do? I'm not supposed to fret. Verse 3 says, trust in the Lord. That's, that's my part. My part is to trust that God has this, 
that God has a plan, he will succeed, that his arm is not short, he's not slack concerning his promises, that he is watching, he knows everything in my life, every thought that I have, every intent of the wicked, and he is watching over me just as much as the angels were surrounding that little hut with John and Maggie, just as much as God was, was looking from heaven on that moment. He's looking from heaven on our lives as well, on our nation, on our situation, on our families, on every circumstance of life. Trust in the Lord. And while I'm trusting God, I cannot become as an evildoer. I cannot envy his ways. I must do good. I must be actively pursuing what is good for others and what is good for God. I cannot afford to sit around and say that because I am encountering injustice, because I am going through something difficult, because I have just been served a tragedy or trauma, that somehow it exempts me from rising up, trusting God, moving forward, and doing good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. What does that mean? That means that I need to stand my ground. Stay, stay where I dwell in the land. Don't be always thinking of greener grass, that somewhere there's a better place. If I could just get, if I could just get out of here and get some, those geographical cures don't work. You're looking at a young man that went to four schools in the third grade, and then as soon as school was over, moved to a fifth place. From geographical cures, none of them which worked. My dad was an alcoholic. He kept thinking that the next place would be better, the next job would be better, the next town would be better, and it never was. It wasn't until he decided that what his problem was was in here, and it was with Jesus Christ, and that he got born again, gave his life to Jesus, and he stopped drinking, and uh, that's when it got better. And he became an elder in the first church that I pastored. You know, he baptized me after I was already his pastor. <laughs> Let me tell you, there's a great bookend to life. Don't fret. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Stay, just stick by your stuff and feed on his faithfulness. God is faithful. Rehearse his faithfulness. Verse 4, delight yourself also in the Lord. Make the Lord your delight. If you do that, he will give you the desires of your heart. He will begin to give you desires. He'll put his desires in your heart. He will begin, as, 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 as Proverbs 16, 3 says, that if you commit your ways to the Lord, he will cause your thoughts to be established. God will begin to establish your thoughts, and God will begin to, to, to form his desires in your heart, and then he'll give you what you want. He'll cause you to want what he wants and give you what you want. That's a pretty good deal. I love it. It's, 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 it's like one of those swinging doors. You know, it just, God just comes in and then you, you, you get what you want. Verse 5, commit your way. See, this is David all talking about not fretting over evildoers. This is David telling us what we need to do in the face of persecution, in the face of injustice, in the face of difficult circumstances, situations, hardships, heartaches, trauma, tragedy, disappointments. This is what David said we should do. When things disappoint us, don't fret about it. Okay? Trust the Lord, do good, stand your ground, feed on His faithfulness, delight yourself in, uh, in, in the Lord, and let Him formulate your desires. Let Him work in your heart so that you will start to want what He wants. 
And commit your way to the Lord, verse 5. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Boy, there's just a promise right there to anyone who... These, these psalms are, are, are not bound by any time frame or any other particular instance. They are just open and free-flowing to whosoever will. He will bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as a light and your justice as the noonday. Boy, what a verse. Verse 7, rest in the Lord, recline in the Lord. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him to deal with it. He will if we're faithful to pray. Just like John and Maggie were praying in their, that, that, that little house that they were in. They were praying, 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 and they didn't have any idea for a year what God had done to deliver them. But he did. You know, John died at 82 years old. And do you know that his son went on and stayed and worked, uh, his fourth son worked there in those islands until the whole island of Tana was born again. Yeah, that's just, that's, that's amazing testimony. You see, John got there right behind another missionary or two that, some of them got killed and eaten. But John got there. Some, God had somebody right before him. And God had somebody come along right after him. That's the way it works. God's got somebody going right in front of you. And he's got somebody coming along right behind you. We can rest in the Lord. We can wait patiently on Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in His way. Don't fret because of the evildoer. And it looks like He's getting, you know, getting His way. Don't fret because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Verse 8. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. This is King David speaking under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Preserve for us. Do not fret. Cease from anger. Forsake wrath. Don't fret. It only causes harm. I encourage you to recline your whole weight upon the Lord. If you were to read the end of the chapter, verse 40, And the Lord shall help the righteous and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. I just want to encourage you to be encouraged. I want to encourage you to trust the Lord tonight. I want to, you, you, you to know that, that, you know, why do the wicked hate and pursue the righteous and try to take them out? Because they are motivated by the prince of darkness, the demons of this world, the desire of Satan. But it's not just about why do they do these things. It's rather about what can we do about it. Trust in the Lord. Don't be afraid. Trust in the Lord. Recline your whole weight on the Lord. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. He will bring it to pass. Thanks again for joining us for another powerful message from Pastor Ron Hammonds. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive more encouraging messages from our pastor and details of the work we're doing 
both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.